1: Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view change the to world, change the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with another edition of the Survival Podcast. And today, since we did the two-year anniversary show yesterday, and we skipped the Monday feedback show, we'll do a Tuesday feedback show. So I've got a bunch of your uh, questions, suggestions, thoughts. Articles and other good things like that queued up and uh, ready to go. We have some stuff today about the BP oil disaster, uh, getting your bug out location at a time of crisis. We have stuff on uh, seeds that have been overwintered outside and are they viable. 50 statistics about the United States economy that are almost too crazy to believe. And a lot of other great stuff. I'm also making a return of a segment we did for a while called Ask Clown of the Day. We'll do that toward the end and we'll call it Ask Clown of the Week. And I don't know that it'll become regular again, but when you hear what this idiot is doing, or what this idiot has done, I should say, you will understand why Ask Clown of the Week is certainly fitting for this idiot. Uh, I'm also going to tell you what somebody did in response to it, we'll call him Hero of the Week. You'll have to wait till about the end of the show to hear that, though. All right, before we uh, do the show and get any of your feedback, your questions, and ask clowns of the day or week or whatever we want to call them, let's go ahead and knock out the housekeeping. Housekeeping item one, let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to uh, take care of you and make sure the show's here every day and make sure... Uh, The show is well supported. Sponsor of the day number one is Ready Made Resources, which is an awesome sponsor. They've been with us for a very long time. I'd say about a year and a half of our two years of existence, they were one of the first groups that stepped up and said, yeah, we'll back this show. We believe in what you're doing, Jack. Uh, Right now and through the end of the month, they're running a sale on Mountain House items, 25% off all Mountain House items. So, If you're looking to stock up on that stuff, good time to go there and do that. Sponsor of the day number two today is Sawtooth Tactical. I like to say that Sawtooth is the place to look for the tactical stuff, everything from Magpul mags to Maxpedition bags. Uh, they really have a lot of really cool stuff over there, great personal service from the owner. I know if there's a hiccup, he's going to make it right. They're the type of folks I like to have as a sponsor because they really care about and, indeed, I would even say love their customers. So uh, check out Sontooth. Remember, if you order from them, the mention you found out about them on the uh, Survival Podcast, and they just might toss in an extra goodie or two. Right. Next up, I want to remind you to connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Uh, subscribe to our channel. Check out the new Revolution Is You video. It's all about you guys. I want to say something when I mentioned the Revolution Is You video today. Um, I talked yesterday about how Another Day, Another Dollar really wasn't our song. And what I realized is that the Revolution of, Is You became the show's song, my song, for maybe it's first first month of existence. After that video, it's not the show's song. It's not my song anymore. Now it's your song. By putting you guys with it, we've made it your song. It's the audience's song. It's the community's song. The song now belongs to you. So... Make the most of it. Be the revolution. Check that video out. If you haven't done so already, please send it to everyone you know. Tell them to check out a video that shows what people can do when they're actually motivated, motivated by something positive instead of just focused on the negative. Uh, but do connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. On YouTube, uh, on Facebook, I do want to let you guys know I've stopped really taking very many friend requests uh, because there's a limit to how many friends you can take. And I've gotten to where I have so many people that I don't know on a first-name basis as friends. On Facebook, it's hard for me to use it to keep up with family and, and things like that. So, uh, the best way to connect with me on Facebook, if we don't know each other, if we haven't really met, is going to be with the fan page. And that's not to keep you away from me, that's to keep my two worlds a little bit more separated uh, so I can do a better job in both of those worlds. Because uh, I promise you, if you post something uh, on the fan page, I'm going to see it and I'm going to respond to it. And of course, you always have my personal email, jack at the survival podcast.com. That does not go through any filters, it doesn't go through it comes to me, and when you get an answer, it's from me. All right. Uh, last, uh, I want to remind you about the members support brigade. If you join the members support brigade, you're supporting this show. Twenty cents an episode is what it comes out to. It's actually about eighteen if you pay uh, once a year at fifty dollars a year. It's about twenty cents if you pay uh, at five dollars a month or anything else in between. However, you want to set up your frequency of contributing. What you get in return for supporting the show is about a hundred dollars worth of free ebooks. books Discounts from about twenty-two, twenty-three different vendors now. Uh, some of the discounts are pretty significant. For instance, uh, the uh, the discount membership you get for free to Western Botanicals is worth fifty dollars a year, uh, so that offsets the entire cost immediately. Twenty-nine dollar lifetime discount membership to Safe Castle Royal. Uh, so there's seventy-nine bucks out of the gate, plus hundred dollars worth of free eBooks, twenty videos by me that are available nowhere else. Really cool stuff. And, uh, so you get a return of investment. That's the way I always wanted to do business here. If I was going to take your money, I was going to give you something of greater value back. That's what the MSB is all about. And of course, you can proudly display your MSB affiliation on the forum, uh, once you are a member of the brigade. So with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. I want to start out with this, uh, this, this list that came, uh, from a site called endoftheamericandream.com. Uh, not exactly the type of, uh, terminology I really like to see, because I believe the American dream is alive and well, but when I read their subtext, I kind of like what they're doing, waking people up and getting them to realize that the American dream is quickly becoming the American nightmare, so they want people to do something, so that's what they mean with that. Um, this... List came to me from a guy named Greg, longtime listener of the show, guy that's travel RV103.com guy that's traveling all over the country right now. Uh, it's apparently it's made its way around the internet quite a bit. It's been tweeted according to its little retweet button 143 times. Uh, but let me just read a few of them to you and I'll put a link in today's show notes and you can go read them all for yourself. Number 50, in 2010, the U.S. government is projected to issue almost as much new debt as the rest of the governments of the world combined. So we will go as deep in debt as the rest of the world will in 2010. How's that for hope and change, folks? Uh, number 49, it is being projected the U.S. government will have a budget deficit of approximately one6 Trillion dollars in 2010. Number 48, if you went out and spent $1 every single second, it would take you more than 31,000 years to spend a trillion dollars. Again, if you spent a dollar a second, and we're going to be at 1.6 trillion in the hole in 2010, just for 2010, that's not the existing debt, that's the new hole. It would take you 31,000 years spending a dollar a second. Number 47, in fact, If you spent $1 million every day since the birth of Jesus Christ, you would still not have spent $1 trillion by now. A million dollars a day since the birth of Jesus, and you would not have spent a trillion dollars. The U.S. government debt, this number 46, is now up to 90% of the gross domestic product. Ah, let's see. Here's another Number 30, U.S. banks repossessed nearly 258,000 homes nationwide in the first quarter of 2010. A 35% jump up from the first quarter of 2009. So you know how the recession's getting better, it's leveling off, we're seeing green shoots. Well, we have actually repossessed more homes in 2010 than 2009 when things were, you know, really bad before uh, the new administration took over and started to make some tough decisions and, and changes for the better. Um, the National League of, this number 22, the National League of Cities says that municipal governments will probably come up between 56 billion and 83 billion short between now and 2012. So those are, that's how much, how short our cities will be. 56 to 83 billion. That's city government shortfalls. 21, half of cash poor U.S. states have announced that they are delaying their tax refund checks. Let me read that one again, because this is the thing that eventually sets off disasters. This is what sets off rioting in the streets eventually. Half, of the, half a dozen cash-poor U.S. states, that's six, have announced that they're delaying their tax refund checks. So, in other words, you work in that state, you pay that state income tax, and at the end of the year, it turns out you paid them too much. They owe you your own money back. They're delaying that because they don't have the money to give you. Do you know why? Because they either delay that back or they delay a payment like a welfare check. So who's more likely to go out into the streets? The person riding welfare or the hard-working man that has to pay his bills to take care of his family? So you come last. They'll protect the people drawing the state benefits first. Nice, huh? Um, 18. The most recent... The, the, this most the, This most recession... I don't know what he's trying to say. Number 18. The recession has erased. 8 million private sector jobs in the United States. 8 million jobs are gone. 8 million jobs. Not lost. Lost is, you're laid off. We'll bring you back when times get better. This is 8 million jobs are gone. Not to return. Phoenix, Arizona features an outstanding, an astounding annual car theft rate of 57,000 vehicles and has become the new car theft capital of the world. And you wonder why they're doing something about illegal immigration. 57,000 cars a year stolen in Phoenix. 57,000. The bottom 40% of income earners in the United States now collectively own less than 1% of the nation's wealth. If you make, number five, if you make the minimum payment each and every time, a $6,000 credit card bill can end up costing you $30,000. Do you see why I hate credit cards? Screw your points and your miles, folks. Okay? You're supporting the devil when you use a credit card. According to, number four, according to a new report based on U.S. Census Bureau data, only 26% of American teens between the ages of 16 and 19 had jobs in 2009, which represents a record low since statistics began to be kept in 1948. So the lowest number of teenagers with jobs in the history of the country, at least since we've been keeping track of it. Number three, according to the National Foundation for Credit Counseling Survey, only 50% of those in Generation Y even pay their bills on time. Generation Y, only 58% of you pay your bills on time. Nice, huh? During the first quarter of 2010, the total number of loans, this is number two, that are at least three months past due in the United States increased for the 16th consecutive quarter. Number one, according to the Tax Foundation's micro-mulition model, to erase the 2010 budget deficit, the U.S. Congress would have to multiply each tax rate by 2.4. Thus, the 10% rate would be 24%, the 15% rate would be 36%, And those of you in the 35% tax bracket would have to pay 85% tax just to erase the deficit created, not in all time, but just for 2010. Like I said, how's that hope and change working out for us? And not to be too hard on the current ass clown, he's only part of the problem. Prior administration is a big part of this problem. and The one before him was a big part of it. and one before him was a big part of it, too. We've been doing this stuff to ourselves for a long damn time, folks. We, just, you know, we, we blame the guy at the head of the line because he's the one that's there now, so you don't get any uh, misconceptions about any kind of partisan loyalties that I might have. So I want you guys to take a look at this, the rest of this list. Uh, again, I'll put links in today's show notes to it, but it's pretty astounding. What's really going on out there? And you may wonder, Jack, how can you believe in a false recovery? Because all that debt's getting pumped into the economy, baby. And it's like giving a credit card to a drunk. He'll be wearing a nice suit of clothes sooner or later. Uh, But sooner or later, he's going right back to Skid Row. He'll probably fall harder than before. That's why I think it's happening. Uh, Let's go ahead and take another one of your uh, email questions. Here's one from a guy named Alex. He says, he's watching my YouTube videos and I was building up a trellis with bamboo. And uh, he and he was doing one with corrugated pipe. I was using zip ties to attach the bamboo together. He was doing the same thing. And then he saw an advertisement on YouTube for paracord. He realized that I've never heard me, he never heard me speak about zip ties and paracord and how they fit into a survival plan. Would you please share your opinion on where zip ties and paracord fit to one survival plan? Well, um, and he wants applications and sizes and how much to keep in your house, car, bug out, beer, honey. I mean, I can only do so much with this, folks. Uh... Especially as a response, and maybe one day I should do a whole show on uses for paracord and zip ties. But here's how I feel about zip ties: you're better off having ones that are longer than you need than shorter than you need. So I like you know to keep some zip ties around that are uh, some that are about eight inches and some that are at least 12 inches. I'm not real big on the big heavy-duty zip ties. Um, if I need to bind something that's that uh, that needs that much. Uh, uh, Restraint. there's probably better ways to do it but I, I keep a few of them around I mean like the big ones like they put around a uh, refrigerator box you're never going to know what you need I can tell you that I've seen some pretty, inc- in, uh, pretty interesting jerry rigging done with uh, zip ties one time I saw a guy whose uh, tie rod fell off his truck and he used zip ties to put the tie rod back together. And, of course, you had to be careful driving it, but it was good enough to get the vehicle home. So you can do a lot with zip ties. I think you definitely should have some in your bug-out bag. I think you should have some in your wilderness pack. This is, again, I'm still on zip ties here, not, uh, not even paracord yet. Zip ties have some advantages over cordage of any type in that they can be very quickly put on. I also want to point out that you can remove a zip tie without destroying its, its, its usage. If you take a knife blade or uh, the, the end of another tie wrap and you go on the inside, you can basically push back the little the little uh, snap piece that that locks and push that lock back. you can remove that zip tie and you can still reuse it if you do that enough times, it begins to break down the uh, ability of the zip tie to perform, but you can definitely reuse them more than once uh, in a survival situation so zip tie is big time uh, part of what you, I think you should have out there because uh, one thing they're not good for is restraints. If you doubt that, check out Brian Black from ITS Tactical and his videos on breaking out of zip ties. Pretty, uh, pretty impressive, and I'm actually pretty sad that law enforcement trusts their lives to these things. Uh, next up on paracord, it's one of the most usable items in the world. I've done so many things with paracord, I can't even begin to imagine listing them all. But the fact that you could take the the inner strands out alone is really cool. I've, I've got these uh, trellis nets that you've probably seen in my videos on YouTube of my garden. And every once in a while when I'm cutting vines off or something, I'll, I'll cut one of the, the main lines and I'll uh, have a hole in my trellis netting. I use the inner uh, nylon cord from a piece of paracord to repair them. Uh, you can make fishing line by tying uh, multiple strands of that together with a blood knot. It's a pretty decent fishing line. In fact, if you carry just a small uh, quantity of monofilament, uh, and you can put a monofilament leader on the end of uh, some sna- spliced-together uh, paracord line. It's a really good fishing line because uh, it's a, t- a little bit easier to reel in and maintain than a lot of uh, mono, and by having the mono leader, Uh, you still have the ability to have that fine line when you're actually close to the fish. So I think paracord is a great idea to have around. I always seem to have a bracelet on me. If I don't, I kind of wonder where did I put my bracelet when I took it off. Uh, That allows me to carry about 30 feet at any given time of paracord on me uh, using uh, what they call a cobra knot, which is basically a double Solomon bar. Uh, I just think that you you should have some of it at least at all times. In your bug out bag, there's no reason to have anything less than 100 feet, as far as I'm concerned. That's a minimum. It takes up so little space and it does so many things for you. And if you have 100 feet of paracord, uh, if you ever needed to splice together the inner workings, you have to realize that you could splice then together, uh, you know, about what, 700 feet. Uh, of inner working you still have the 100-foot the uh, outer sheet. Of course, you don't have the, the full 550-pound bearing capability at that point, but you still have some pretty strong cordage. I think it's cool to know how to make cordage in the wilderness, and you should know that skill, but I think it's much more practical to carry some cordage with you. Uh, He also asked me uh, another question, real quick one here, why I chose Arkansas over Texas for my land. I could have found something quicker uh, to get to, etc. First of all, I want the hell out of here, uh, the city, uh, anyway. Our bug out location is eventually to become our full-time residence. I'm sad that that hasn't happened by now, but I love my wife, so I've agreed to stay here in Arlington for just a little bit longer. Uh, So, we looked for a place we wanted to live uh, in addition to a place to just get away. If it was just straight up, nothing but a bug out location, uh, it probably would have been within about three hours versus five. So, it would have been somewhere either in the hill country or East Texas, probably East Texas because it's better for growing stuff. Um, But when it comes down to it, I love the mountains. I absolutely love living in the mountains. So, the Ouachita Mountains were kind of the closest mountains that weren't like sort of desert mountains uh, that had the potential for both uh, mountain living and agriculture, uh, allowing my wife to be able to come see her family after we moved with reasonable ease. The property prices in Texas also were ridiculous compared to the property prices in Arkansas. What I purchased in Arkansas is five acres on a private road with a gate, three-bedroom, two-bath house, um, very very remote feeling, hard. You couldn't find it unless you knew where it was to get to it. Uh, but yet reasonably close to a small town, being Hot Springs, where you can get the things that you would want for day to day living. Uh, so I can get away from everybody, or I can be with people. And the cost of that place was seventy four thousand dollars. Can't buy five acres of land like that without the house in Texas. Property taxes were also a big factor, about $330 a year uh, with a $300 homestead exemption. So once I'm living there full time, my property taxes are about $30 a year. So that's why I chose Arkansas for those that may be wondering. Uh, let's go ahead and take another question. Here's an interesting one. One guy says he wants to know how to store his emergency fund. How I think he should store it, and whether or not you think his, his idea is good poses too many risks. Here's the backstory. story. I saved up eight months' worth of an emergency fund. I was thinking about putting one month's worth at a time in a six month CD for the next six months. Once a CD matured, I would roll it over into another six month CD and continue the process. This would earn slightly better than my savings account, but it would eventually lock up most of my emergency fund as well. A month's worth would never be more than a month away, and I'd have the other two months of my savings just in case. But I feel there could be some risk uh, if any major event ever popped up. What are your thoughts? Well, the only risk is going to be an event that pops up that closes down the banks and destroys the FDIC uh, fund because your CDs obviously are available through the Federal Deposit Insurance uh, uh, act to make sure that your money is going to be protected up to a quarter million dollars. Since we're talking about six months' worth going into these CDs, I, I highly doubt that six months' worth of your income is a quarter million. If that was the case, you wouldn't be asking me what to do with your money. You'd have a highfalutin advisor that really knew what he was doing, unlike the consumer-level advisors uh, that would have already told you what to do. So I think that you're pretty safe there. I also want to point something out about CDs. CDs have a penalty for early withdrawal, but it's not that bad. It's really not. So if you ever got to a point where you were starting to look at the economy and be scared, you could still extract your CDs pay the penalty. So your plan's not bad. Again, what he wants to do, folks, two months goes in a savings account. That way he's got 60 days in an emergency before he even needs any money uh, from the the CDs. And then the other six months are put into six-month CDs staggered out so that there's a new CD maturing every month. So every 30 days, he has the ability to withdraw 30 days' worth of funds. That's a good plan. I like it. Um, I'm going to tell you that I would probably get about two weeks' worth of the 60 days that you're going to reserve, and I would get a safe or a firebox, and I would convert it to cash, and I would put it somewhere where I can get it without going to the bank. Exactly where, exactly how, I'm not going to say, too much information, but I would be able to put my hands on at least, if you have eight months, at least two weeks' worth of cash. Because you could go into a disaster that is but highly acute where, let's say, you can't go to the bank. Riots um, maybe keep you from getting to a branch. Or power outages that make the bank unable to function because banks generally don't have backup generators to serve the public. Or some other sort of event that would tie up even your savings for a couple days when you really need the money and maybe at a time where you really need a little bit of excess. So I would get a week to two weeks and I would reserve that as pure cash uh, where I'd put my hands on it. So, But your otherwise, your plan, I like it. Don't see anything wrong with it. Probably not exactly what I would do. Certainly not exactly what I would do because I haven't done it. But since it's what you think makes sense and as long as you understand that there may come a time where you need to just do an early withdrawal and pay a penalty, I think it's a good plan. Rock on with it. Let's take another one. Here's a question uh, from Barb. And Barb says, uh, hi Jack, what's your opinion of photovoltaic solar grid tied with a battery backup to stand alone? Our utility company is offering 2.55 uh, cent rebate per watt or $2.55 cent rebate per watt along with a 30% federal rebate. Uh, we would appreciate your input and are considering this for our home. Thanks Barb and Terry. Well, you know, here's the thing about, uh, doing grid tied uh, solar with a battery backup. The best system you could put in if you're in a situation where you have the electrical grid available. Absolutely, positively, the best. Absolutely, positively, the most complicated. Absolutely, positively, the most expensive. The most complicated because it has the most parts. The most expensive because it has the most parts. With a grid tied system, standalone grid, or just a straight up grid tied system, I have panels. They produce power. The power goes through an inverter it's converted to AC, it's made available to my home, and if I generate a surplus, it backfeeds the grid, and then I get money from the electric company, if I live in a state that allows that, I think you do. okay? Because I think you're in Colorado, if you're, yeah, this person's in Colorado, I think Colorado does that. So, that is a simple system. A standalone system, a non-grid-tied system, has solar panels that go to batteries, they go through an inverter or power some things with direct DC current uh, and kind of split the power up that way. So power from the the, the the panels to the batteries to the home. Okay, So both of those are relatively simple. When we go into a grid tie with battery backup, we basically have both systems hybrid together so that the solar panels are charging the batteries. The surplus, once the batteries are fully charged, is now available to the home or to the grid. The beauty of this is, if the grid goes down, I have the batteries to make the most out of the solar uh, electricity that's being generated. So I think if you can afford it, it makes sense. I think the rebates that you're talking about are very good. And I think that while it won't be the best financial investment over, let's say, the next three years, that long-term the right system will be very profitable for you because, make no mistake about it, the cost of energy is going to continue to go up. So energy will become more expensive in the future. The other side is the cost of solar installations will continue to come down, but there's a kind of a break-even point where once the, the, the solar costs go down enough, the go- and the government needs money. A lot of these rebates are going to go away. So, if you do it now, you have it now. And if you need it because the power goes off, it's there. So, and I also think that getting that initial system installed is important because expanding it is a hell of a lot easier than putting it in the first time. So, I think it's a great idea if you got the money to afford it. And uh, based on the fact that I think you guys live pretty dead gone debt free, you probably do. So if, you, if it works for you, go ahead with it. I think it's a great way. And if I was going to put one in and some people said, blue sky, no budget, put in whatever you want, grid tie with battery backup is exactly what I would do. So here's an interesting question. This came in from uh, Eric. Eric always sends me great stuff. He says, granted, things are not looking good for the U.S. economy, even worse for Spain and Greece. That being the case, it still seems strange to me that other countries want to buy U.S. Treasuries. Can you explain why that is? The story below gives a reasoning, being the U.S. has never defaulted before, but isn't it a bad risk when you see the state of the economy here? Your thoughts would be appreciated. Uh, thanks for all you're doing, Eric. So he has this link on uh, Yahoo, and I'll put a link in today's show notes for you uh, on this as well, but here's what it says. China's holdings of U.S. Treasury securities rose by $5 billion in, uh to $900.2 billion in April. Treasury Department said Tuesday total foreign holdings rose by 72.8 billion uh, to 3.96 trillion. The sizable gains are being driven by fears that Greece and Europe governments could default on their debt. Worries over possible defaults have sparked flight to safety that has benefited U.S. Treasury securities. Treasuries are considered the world's safest investment. The U.S. government has never defaulted on its debt. It goes on from there, and you read the whole article. But let me tell you some of the things that are going on here. There's a few things in play. Number one, first of all, China went out and bought an assload of gold, an assload of land and property and holdings in Africa, uh, and diversified their investments. Then they went out and shored up, a massive number of trade agreements to purchase food and to get the exclusive rights to food from a lot of rice exporting and agricultural exporting nations throughout uh, the East. So they solved the stability issue. Now they still have surplus, right? Because they can print up all of their phony money that they want because they're a fiat currency just like us. Now, the United States is the biggest customer China has, at least for the time being. They sell more shit to us than they sell to their own people. Okay? We are their source of income. If this nation doesn't have money, and if our citizens don't go to Walmart and buy Chinese made crap, it hurts the entire output of the Chinese government. So once they solidified their position, they need to make sure that they're still able to sell crack to the addict. So they give the addict a loan to buy the crack with. So that's part of what's going on here. The other part of it is about safety. You have to hold as a nation some amount of money and some sort of a security beyond gold in the fiat world we live in. Um, as long as you want to play in the fiat game, as long as you want to take your currency and peg it to the dollar by whatever artificial means that you see uh, available. And if you want to take the Chinese currency and keep it valued at a way where it will be valuable to other customers like Europe. So what happens is if the Chinese currency uh, strengthens too much, it becomes too powerful... Uh, your cost advantages for exports go down. So you can keep your balance with the U.S., but you have to help control the dollar as well so you don't lose your advantage when you're selling into England or you're selling into Spain or you're selling into Greece. You're also selling them your crack. So you would think that the Chinese buying U.S. treasuries would strengthen the dollar, and it will short-term. The Chinese are chess players, not checkers players, folks. When the US takes on greater debt, which is the only choice we have right now to keep the ship floating, I read you the statistics. We're going to take more debt than any other nation or all the other nations put together in 2010. What will happen is short term bounce of the value of the dollar. Investors then step back and look at it. The debt load increases. The value of the US dollar declines because we've printed more money, i.e., inflation once that occurs the US dollar begins to weaken against other world currencies like the euro like the pound the, the, the Chinese currency weakens with the dollar since they're pegged to each other the Chinese advantage pricing advantage of importation or exportation to Europe and other places with stronger currencies is reestablished so, there you go. That's what you won't hear on Glenn Beck or Rush Limbaugh when they analyze this. Uh, and that's what you won't hear on CNN Money. And that's what I don't think you're going to hear anywhere but right here at the Survival Podcast. So uh, there you go. That's what I think's going on. Let's go ahead and take another one. Short, simple, easy one. Mark says, I have some dried aronia berries that went through the freezing winter here in Wisconsin. Do you think these would be viable seeds for the exchange? I also have black walnuts in the same circumstances. So... Uh, basically what he wants to know is, are these seeds good for exchanging? Will you plant them? Will they grow? Okay, aronia is native to much of North America. Aronia seed is designed by Mother Nature to be able to sit out in the cold and go through that process and be viable seed the next year. It's how it reproduces natively. So... Absolutely, those seeds would be viable. The question is not are they viable, but how viable are they? So what you really need to do, assuming you have you know several hundred of these or more, to get a uh, a viable test here, would be to take the aronia seed and take about twenty of them and plant them in optimum circumstances: seventy degree soil, good lighting, controlled moisture. See how many germinate. If you know, 10 germinate, you have a 50% germination rate. If, um, you know, I don't know, 20 germinate, you have a 100% germination rate. If uh, 50, 15 germinate, you have a 75% germination rate. If you're going to exchange them, you simply state, yes, the seeds have been tested, and this is the germination rate that I've experienced with them. Black walnuts could be a different scenario. If they're left out in the cold above ground, they tend to rot out on the inside and they're not really good for anything. Uh, Black walnuts tend to reproduce best when little creatures like squirrels carry them off, bury them in the dirt, forget about them, and they spend the winter in the cold soil and uh, go through a process as well. In fact, a lot of seeds and and things like that will germinate better if they do go through freezing temperatures. But when they're underground, there's a certain amount of moisture that's retained within the walnut. This is true with a lot of things like acorns as well, and uh, you'll find that they'll do very well sprouting the next year. A lot of times when nuts those sit out uh, in the freezing temperatures, and they go from hot to cold, hot to cold, and back. Moisture is not constant. It's, it's high and low. High and low, it causes a rotting out of the seed shell. So your best thing you can do with your walnuts is take a few of those and crack them open, and I think you'll probably find if they've been sitting out that the kernels are rotted. They probably won't germinate worth a damn. Uh, so there you go. Next one. Here's an interesting question. Scott says, are there any places in the U.S. that do not have property tax? If there are, would it be consistent with modern survival philosophy to choose to live there in consideration of such a factor? Um, I don't actually know of any place 100% free of property taxation. There are probably places where you can get yourself into paying little to no property taxes with certain exemptions and in certain unincorporated areas. But as far as I know, any piece of land that you own anywhere is going to be within at least a county. And any county is going to take any land ownership as an opportunity to tax you. I don't know of a tax-free area in regard to property taxes. If someone does know, please tell me. That said, by going more remote, you reduce the tax burden. He goes on about taxes and, and how we should pay less taxes and, and all kinds of other stuff. And, um, you know, how this is, uh, this is uh, you know basically saying that if you if you have property taxes how does that affect the modern survival tenant to own land that produces for you well the key is to own land that produces more than it costs So if I own land that produces $5,000 worth of food for me a year, and I have even $1,000 in property taxes, my land is productive by $4,000 of value. If I have land with property taxes of $5,000, and I'm able to get $1,000 of production out of it, my land is costing me $4,000 a year. So it's more of a cost analysis in that situation. But as I explained earlier, My property taxes on my property in Arkansas should I live there and get the homestead exemption are $33 a year. I would call that basically tax-free living from property. So it's all about looking and finding the most advantageous place to live and uh, getting to, to a place where the county doesn't want to provide you much service. See, I have no paved roads. I have no water. I have no sewer. I have a a well, and uh, I have a septic system. Not just by choice, but by the fact that it's not available. I'm provided with electrical utility and phone. That's the only thing that's delivered up there. Uh, If there's two feet of snow, God makes the snow, he'll take it away, or we got to pay for it. Uh, They do very little maintenance on the road. They'll come through once every two or three years and backgrade some of the potholes in. So we trade that for not having to pay them to do things and being responsible for them ourselves. So it is possible to reduce it to almost nothing, but I know of no place that's truly like, hey, come live here, we won't tax your property at all. If you do know of such a place, again, please let me know in the show notes, comments, or by email. I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to talk about it. Here's an interesting question, uh, again, from uh, Eric, who, saw, like I said, always sending me great stuff. He says, what's your thoughts on this? Do you feel the FCC uh, will, would, or could lead uh, to them to controlling what is allowed uh, or not allowed through ISPs? And it's about an article and, you know, basically censoring the Internet. Let me read some of the article to you, and this is from investors.com. FCC about to start bid for ISP control. Regulation of Internet service providers is moving ahead on three tracks at the Federal Communications Commission in Congress and via tech industry effort to propose rules to acceptable regulations and lawmakers. Uh, At its regular monthly meeting, the FCC expected to forge ahead with new controversial proposal to regulate ISPs. After court lost to Comcast in April that gutted much of the FCC's authority over the Internet, so basically they got their ass slapped down, uh, the agency searched for a legal remedy that would restore its clout. In May, FCC Chairman Julius uh, Grinchowski proposed reclassifying Internet services under his plan Title II FCC rules that would apply to traditional phone companies' uh, services would apply to broadband ISP strongly oppose the plan. One reason is shift could give the FCC authority over broadband pricing for the first time. Congress, meanwhile, is separately mulling legislation to clarify Internet regulation through November's elections and lobbying battles to push debate into 2011. So basically, here's all this talk about they're taking over the Internet. They're going to censor the Internet. It's going to be like China. It's about money. It's about money. See, right now, there's very little taxation on the Internet. Not just taxes on the Internet from a standpoint of if I buy something from Indiana and Texas, I don't pay sales tax. People have been yakking about that forever. It's really meaningless, and I'll tell you why it's meaningless. There's no national sales tax yet. If there is, we're going to pay it on the Internet in a catalog anywhere. Um, so that's not really an issue. And for many, many years, uh, when there were just catalogs or phone orders or whatever, and there was no Internet, I could still buy something from Indiana and pay no sales tax on it because it was interstate commerce. So what they really want to do is they want to start controlling pricing and taxation on Internet service providers. You know when you get your phone bill and you got all those freaking charges on it for phone services? They want some monies like that from the Internet because the Internet's killing the phone. That's the reality because of things like Skype. So the tax revenue base from, uh, to the government from telecommunications is in decline. In fact, even a couple of taxes a few years ago, almost five years ago now, several taxes that had been in place since the time of the Spanish-American War were ruled unconstitutional and completely went away. So they've been hit hard. So that's what this is on the surface. Do I think there's people in our government that would like to control the Internet? Yes. The ass clown himself, Obama, even floated some concepts like that, stating things like, anybody can put anything out there and it's not true and people need to know the truth. And But here's the reality. They're not going to censor the Internet. They're not going to turn the switch that says, this isn't allowed and this is. They're not going to do it. And you know why they're not going to do it? Let's say that we took away the ability for our college students and our high school students and our internet native generation, the people that have never not known or have never known a world without the internet. You know, we have Generation X and then why? The next generation, the people that are coming up now, that are just entering the job space, those teenagers and those college age students and those people that have jobs and skipped college, they're all what are called internet natives. Turn off their Facebook, turn off their Twitter. Control what they're allowed to put and watch on YouTube. And buddy, no matter how optimistic I am, you better find your ass a bunker if you do that. You'll see a popular revolution in the streets. Not a bloodless one either. You will see people go absolutely, fundamentally, violent level nuts. You can censor the internet if you do it like China did. From day one. So people don't know what's taken away from them. If they try to do this now, and I'm not saying that they won't really, but I'm telling you, if they do, the repercussions will be such, it's so painful. That they'll almost be unimaginable. The very first thing that'll happen is any legislator that touched this legislation in a way that empowers legislation to truly censor the internet. Not to do this taxation crap I'm talking about, right? But to actually start controlling it to say, we're shutting down Alex Jones. I don't agree with a lot of what Alex Jones says, but he's got a right to say it, and I applaud him for his efforts. Or we're going to shut down Jack Spearco. Or we're going to shut down a little kid that's angry about something that wants to go out on YouTube and say it. And starts blocking that. Anybody that touched that in a way that empowered it is gone on the next election. Absolutely, fundamentally gone. That's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is about 2 or 3 million college students go to Washington and start pulling shit down. I'm talking buildings. I'm talking people. I'm talking science. I'm talking absolute anarchy it can't be done now people won't stand for it so i'm less worried about censorship on the internet right now in the united states than i'm worried about the potential that if they try it what's the backlash and moreover i'm worried about them coming in and taking over financially and cr- creating a new tax base using the internet, that will eventually harm small businesses online. That's what this is really all about. And you wonder, well, then why does Obama say something that makes you think about censorship? Folks, please understand the magician already. You talk about something that's completely unbearable, and then you put in its place something that's somewhat unbearable, and the somewhat unbearable appears to be nothing. It's, I'm waving my right hand while I look like I'm pulling the quarter from your ear with my left. It's misdirection. It's the hot chick the magician has right that catches your attention doing a half a belly dance around a pole while the other uh, assistant is climbing into the box and you don't see her. That's what this crap always is. Whatever you think they're doing, they're probably doing about half of it and they're putting the extreme out there to get this massive reaction from people where everybody freaks out and starts sending 100 emails that are wrong, that are improper, that, improper is not the right word, just absolutely wrong, fundamentally wrong, They can be disproven. They've set it up to disprove it. So then they completely damage the credibility of everybody that opposes it to the point where anybody that looks on accepts the middle ground as being reasonable even though the middle ground isn't reasonable. Same thing they did here in Texas, guys. you got to start seeing the connections. you got to start thinking beyond the surface and connecting the dots. Texas, classic example. They have a road. They want to turn it into a tollway. No reason it should be a tollway whatsoever. Already paid for. Paid for with a gas tax increase. In the local area. All the money's there. But they need it to be a tollway. Why? So they can build another road somewhere else and use this tollway to fund it robbing the funds that are already allocated. So what do they do? They start a a big thing about the fact that they're going to sell the tollway to the highest bidder. And then they say that this company called Esponza out of Spain is going to be the highest bidder. So what they're going to do is they're going to sell the tollway to Spain. So the Texas highway will be owned by a Spanish company. And what happens? Voters snap. They call their state rep, they call their state senator, they call the governor's office, and they say, look, we're going to have a toll road in Texas! Damn it! It should be run by the North Texas Tollway Association. And the state of Texas goes, you're right. We're sorry. We overstepped. We'll back up. We'll put this toll road in under the NTTA. And everybody goes, "Yay, we won! No, you didn't, you freaking idiots! You didn't win! You got a tollway that shouldn't be a tollway! It was a trick. It was a float of something really bad to back up as something half as bad. That's what's going on with this internet regulation, folks. Please see it for what it is. What it is is bad enough. If we overreact to these things, then what happens? We get discredited and eventually we get it shoved down our throat. Just like the healthcare debate. Everybody freaked out and made claims that were nonsensical about the healthcare bill instead of sticking to the mountain of garbage that was really there. The opposition was discredited, made out to be a bunch of right-wing lunatics instead of the middle America that it really was, the majority of the people and they were able to float it through. Hopefully they'll pay for that one. But that's what's always going on when you hear these ridiculous claims. The government is behind the claim. They know exactly what they're doing, and they're playing chess with you while you play checkers with them. Let's take another one. So this next one is kind of, I guess was becoming kind of once a week, I pull something off of this YouTube channel called Informed Citizen News. And uh, this one is for all the folks that constantly email me about how gold isn't really that great of an investment. And if the U.S. economy actually collapses and we go into uh, total decline, it'll be more important to have food and bullets and band-aids in a disaster than gold. And I agree on some levels and I completely disagree on some other levels. I think that gold and silver are commodities that are always good to have on hand uh, because you don't know the nature of the disaster. You don't know the nature of the decline. You really don't. Uh, even when you think you do, you don't. And that more often than not, when a nation goes into economic collapse, gold and silver become a currency of choice. And that if we're going to do anything with disaster planning, we play the odds. We go, what is the most probable thing that we can prepare for? And we, we, uh, we do things that way. Now, we might do some other redundancies. I'm not saying don't have beans, bullets, and mandates. Of course you do. I'm saying have some gold and silver, too. Well, here's what's going on in Greece right now, this second, uh, from ICN. Informed Citizen News on YouTube. The Federal Reserve is the self-proclaimed
0: lender of last resort. But gold has always been the currency of last resort. And it is being proven again in Greece. As rumors of Greece's imminent default and expulsion from the eurozone are rampant, locals in Greece are buying up gold coins. The price of gold coins in Greece has risen 50% since 2008. The Greek central bank controls the legal trade of gold coins, but that has only led to a brisk black market, as the central bank cannot, or will not, keep up with demand. The events in Greece should not be a surprise to anyone, as they are no different than any other country that has experienced a currency collapse.
1: See, and there's something interesting going on there that's bigger than just a typical gold uh, run. Notice they said that the price of gold had gone up 50% in Greece uh, since this whole thing started. Gold hasn't gone up 50%. So how can it go up in 50% in Greece? Well, you could say it's based on currency devaluation. But for right now, Greece is still using the euro. So gold isn't up since the beginning of the Greek crisis, 50% against the euro itself. What's really going on here? Well, because gold trade is controlled in Greece... And the government decides how much you can buy, where you can buy it, to exactly what level. I'm no expert on the gold market in Greece. But you heard that in the report, that the government regulates gold in Greece. On the open market, there's a demand that outweighs the government's ability to fill it. So it's driving up the price. So people are paying more for gold than it's worth in Greece right now. Why would you do such a thing? Because you have a fundamental belief that the underlying currency, the euro is going to go away. Not the euro collapses. But basically what Europe's going to do to Greece, this is what Greece is scared shitless of, the Europe's going to go, you guys don't qualify to be part of the euro anymore, and kick them out. And then Greece will have to go back to a currency of its own, and that currency will be severely devalued against the euro, and all the money that you're holding in euros, as a Greek citizen, you'll have to convert. Okay? Okay. That's what people are scared of in Greece right now. So they're betting that even though they're paying too much for the gold, that it'll still be better than sitting around holding a bunch of—I uh, uh, don't even remember what the currency of Greece was before the uh, euro. You know, I guess it, Italy was lira, something like that, right? Um, that's what they're afraid of. Now, what the interesting thing is how quick a black market popped up. So you know what's happening: people are going to a place where you can just buy gold for market rates. They're smuggling it into Greece and they're selling it. And they're making a heck of a lot of money because they take the euro that they get and they leave the country with it and they go convert it to more gold and they just keep building that way. And they probably keep some gold for themselves if they're Greek citizens because they're going to be stuck there too. That's what's going on. And I'll tell you what, it's it's getting to probably to a point where people that own gold are seeing the opportunity to sell it and they're they're selling it for 25% higher than its value instead of 50 so people are probably even selling things like rings and watches and things that are made of gold like that in their black market outside of, uh, of uh, Greek uh, governmental control. Folks, it's what happens. Every time a government collapses in on itself economically, the people turn to gold and silver. That's why I say make it part of what you're doing. All you have to do is look at every place that's ever happened, or in this case where it's happening right now, and you can see the same pattern and the same path taken. So for us to sit by and say that it'll be different in the United States is nothing but pure nationalistic arrogance. If this economy begins to implode on itself, if the dollar implodes on itself, it will be gold that people run to. Now, Do I think the dollar will implode in the next five years? Absolutely not. I think it's more of a long-term play. The rest of the world, again, I've said this before, has to divest themselves of us. It's a slow, agonizing process for them, and it will only be at a point where the rest of the world can get off of the dollar, that the dollar can collapse on itself. The only other option is a global currency collapse, and we're in real trouble if that happens. But for the dollar to collapse in the immediate... I mean, collapse to, to just you know, worthless paper, Weimar Republic stuff, for the dollar to do that in the short term, it has to be global. It has to be. It can't even be regional. You know, it can't be Canada, U.S., Mexico. It's got to be global. Because the rest of the world, with the dollar as the standard reserve currency right now, even with the nations that are holding less dollars than other currencies right now, can't afford it. They can't afford for us to go under. They have to keep us up even if they don't want to. Short-term play, though. Again, you got. I was saying this several times today, now I'll say it one more time again. You guys got to start thinking about a chess game versus a checkers game. It's not going to be end game, you know, and it's not quick and it's not all straightforward. There's a lot of zigs and zags. There's a lot of permutations that can happen. And even when you have two chess players that are very good chess players, and one's just a little bit better, and you can pretty much bet that guy's going to win every time, the game's going to be played differently each time. The board's going to look different each time. We don't know exactly how it's going to happen. We can just look at the eventual result. We don't know how long the game's going to take. Now, as promised, it is time for what we will call Ask Cloud of the Week. Um, This came off of Yahoo News, and I found it on YouTube so I could strip the audio out of it because I have a, a program that does that that's pretty cool. I'm going to play it for you now. This is about a little boy that goes to the school and had a project in school and wanted to honor our troops, so he took a camouflage hat And he took some toy soldiers, little plastic, little little bitty ones, like one-inch high toy soldiers, and he glued them to the hat, and this is what happened.
0: Eight-year-old David Morales just wanted to honor U.S. troops when he designed a hat with an American flag and small plastic army figures, but the class project ended up running afoul of his school's no-weapons policy because the toy soldiers were carrying tiny guns. His parents say the school didn't take the hat as a salute. Rather, they told David to take the hat home. They say the school called and said the hat was inappropriate. They asked why, and she said, well, because there's guns on it. I said, they're Army guys, and she said, well, they're guns. The school's zero-tolerance policy says students may not bring to school weapons of any kind, regardless of the fact it may be a toy. David's dad says his son was just trying to be patriotic.
1: My son did it. Not with any mild intent, uh, there's, the zero tolerance basically speaks of showing anything that depicts any maliciousness to any other child or uh, anyone or anything. He did not do that.
0: Regardless of policy, David's mom thinks banning the hat sent the wrong message to the kids. Sometimes you have to take a stand for what you think is right. Even if nobody else stands up with you, you do have to voice your opinion in a a nice way and talk about it. In the end, you do have to follow through on what the authorities finally decide. And in this case, the principal decided it was not appropriate. We disagreed, but then respected her decision. David's mom says her son was inspired to honor the military after striking up a friendship last summer with a neighbor in the Army. Myra Lopez, the Associated Press.
1: I can't believe the stupidity and ass-clownery of this principle. This principle is an idiot. Now, you might be thinking, Jack's a prior service soldier. He's hugely patriotic. He's hugely uh, supportive of the troops. Even when he doesn't like what they're being asked to do, he's hugely supportive of the men and the women put in harm's way. He's pissed right now because this school's being anti-military, anti-soldier. Nope. And I don't even think that's what they're doing. If they were doing that, I'd be angry, but at least it would make some freaking sense. It would be a malicious attack because of a personal belief. I could accept that and say the person's a jackass, but not stupid. This person is Ass Clown of the Week because of her ignorance. See, whenever there's a regulation or a law or a rule of any kind, a zero tolerance even, there's a purpose... And there's a function of that rule. Now, the function of the zero-tolerance rule saying that guns cannot come to school even if there are toys is because they could use, be used for intimidation. The father didn't even get it exactly right. Even if there's no malicious intent. If I send my kid to school with one of those little airsoft guns that looks like a Beretta 9mm, and another kid sees that, even if he's not getting malicious intent, even if he doesn't point at anybody, even if it's just in his bag, and the other kid sees it, looks in there and sees it, and the guy doesn't even want him to see it, right? It can cause fear and panic, and it can cause a reaction, because the school, when told, I saw a gun in Billy's bag, has no choice. They've got to go into crisis mode, they've got to grab Billy, they've got to grab the gun, they don't know. It might be real. That's why this rule exists. That is the purpose of this rule. Now, a two-inch toy soldier has a gun that's about a quarter inch long. This cannot be mistaken as a weapon. This cannot be seen as a weapon. It cannot be used as a weapon. It cannot be interpreted as a weapon. Only an idiot, only a freaking idiot would do this. Only an ass clown. The teacher's an idiot and the principal's an idiot. They're both idiots. The teacher that did it and the principal that ruled on it. You want to know what I'm really pissed off about? You want to know what I'm really upset about? That the American people have allowed people that are this stupid to be entrusted with the education of their children. How are these children supposed to be educated in a meaningful, rational way when the people that are responsible for their education are this freaking stupid? These people are mind-numbingly stupid. Now, I promised you a hero. So here you go. Unfortunately, I don't have a news report of this. I can just read you the article where I found uh, the original uh, story that was sent in by a listener on Yahoo News. Uh, Let me get that queued up and read that to you. You'll feel a little bit better about this when you hear it. You see, folks, when there's a problem and it needs to be solved, when a young man has done something good and been told that it's wrong, there's no one that would be more quick to stand up and make it right than a man who served his nation for a long time. Uh, enter Lieutenant General Reginu- Reginald uh, Centrosierio, and if I said that wrong, I apologize, sir, for getting your name wrong. He's our Hero of the Week, and he goes along with his story. Let me just read it to you. East Providence, Rhode Island. A Rhode Island boy whose school band a hat he made because the toy soldiers on it carried tiny guns was awarded a medal on Friday for his patriotic efforts. Lieutenant General Reginald Centracio, uh, the retired head of the Rhode Island National Guard, gave 8-year-old David Morales a medal called the called Challenge Coin, just like we have, folks, during an appearance on uh, WPRO's AM uh, John DePetro show. Centracio said the second grader should be thanked for recognizing veterans and soldiers. Here's a quote. You did nothing wrong. And you did an outstanding job, he said. We can only hope that kids of your caliber will continue to defend this country. Sentrasi so also gave David a certificate that allows him to call himself uh, a brigadier general. So I guess he made him an honorary brigadier general. David was assigned to make the hat last week for a project in the Tioga uh, Tyug School Coventry. He chose a patriotic theme and glued pastic army figures to a camouflage baseball cap. But school officials said the hat ran afoul of their no-weapons policy because the army men held guns, again, as clowns. The school has said that David was offered a chance to wear the hat if he replaced the toy soldiers holding weapons with ones that didn't have any. Well, that's nice, right? Centracio said they didn't make sense because soldiers are armed and met with school administrators Thursday to share his concerns. David said he felt great and called it an honor. I think it's really He said, I'm going to definitely enjoy this day for a long time. Also Friday, the Rhode Island chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union said it sent a letter to Coventry Superintendent Kenneth DePetro, saying the school's policy was unconstitutional violation of the student's free speech. It called on the district to revise the policy. DiPetro did not immediately return a message seeking comment. I wouldn't want to comment either if one of my principals and teachers did something this freaking stupid and I was dumb enough to back it. So, Lieutenant General Reginald Centraccio... Salute of the week to you, hero of the week to you for making that boy feel like what he did was right, because it was right. Folks, this is what's happening to our school system. You want to know why so many people homeschool now? Ignorance like this. But even if your kids go to public school, you don't have to accept it. One, do what the parents did. Fight it. If you have to concede, you have to concede. You don't want to get your kid expelled, but fight it. Stand up and make sure it's known and make sure people hear about it. Point out the ignorance. Two, make sure that you tell the kid what you did was right. We have to comply here. That's wrong. We'll do it because we follow the rules because we always do the right thing. Three, educate them. Educate your children on everything from what's morally right and wrong in your viewpoint. Because what you think is what's most important. That's what they hand down to your children. To how to grow a a, a potato in the backyard. To how to start a fire. To what's right and what's wrong with the use of weapons and guns. This is a gun. This is what it's for. This is how a toy gun can be seen as a real gun and cause a problem. This is stupid. This is a little tiny toy soldier with a a couple millimeter long pistol. This cannot be seen as a weapon. Your teacher is wrong, but do the right thing anyway. Make sure you're empowering your children, folks. And when you see a guy like uh, Lieutenant General uh, Centracio here stand up and do the right thing, I'll see if I can find an email or some way to contact this guy. Let him know you appreciate what he did. You appreciate his service. And you know what? This guy's not running for president. You know, this guy didn't do this for a big political move. He did it because it was wrong what happened, and he wanted in some small way to make it right. And when a general hands you a challenge coin, folks, it means something. Those who have never served, uh, especially in the army where challenge coins are really prominent, may not understand that. But when a general hands you one, that doesn't just happen every day. It means something. So kudos to this kid for what he did. Kudos to this general for what he did. Kudos to all of you for teaching your children how to live in this modern world without forgetting where we came from. With that, this is the Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help me figure out how to live that better life without to you. Till next time. Nobody up there cares they're living for